All right, how's everybody doing today? Hey, you're here. That's great. I mean, what a combination, huh? St. Pat's weekend, time change Sunday. I'd say uh, turn to someone near you and give them a high five that they're here. All right, just do that real quick. All right. Absolutely. Glad you decided to join us today, and I can't help but feel like God has a special purpose uh, for you uh, being here today, you know? And uh, I want you to just kind of think about that as uh, we continue through this service today, that God brought you here for a particular reason, and he's got something special in store for you today, all right? All right. Uh, Quick show of hands, how many of you remember playing the classic game hide-and-seek? How many remember playing hide-and-seek? I think almost everybody remembers that game, yeah? Maybe it was when you were little and you played with your friends, your siblings, or maybe you played it with your own kids when they were little. You know, I think my favorite version, though, of hide-and-seek is peekaboo. You know, peekaboo? Yeah, got some peekaboo fans? Okay, yeah. It's fun to play with the little infants and toddlers, right? Because developmentally, they think that if they can't see you, then what? You must not be there, right? Yeah, that you vanish. They think if I cover my eyes and you don't exist anymore, you're gone. Some of you are thinking, boy, I wouldn't mind playing that with a few people about now. You know, my boss, cover my eyes, he's gone. Could that actually work? Or maybe, maybe a neighbor from time to time. Hopefully you don't feel that way about one of your pastors. Well, Dave, I can understand, but not me, right? No, of course not. But you know, when we grow up, we probably don't play hide-and-seek or peekaboo too often. Not, not too much anymore. But most of us, I think, I think we do get pretty good at hiding, I think we get pretty good at hiding. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my brother Dave uh, told me about an interaction he had with someone who was a part of our church family. And uh, Dave had just finished giving the talk up here, and it was on circles. Do you remember that series where we said that uh, circles are better than rows, and we were encouraging people to, to get connected to a small group? And as Dave walked from the stage to the back of the auditorium, uh, he noticed uh, a young lady who uh, was in tears. And he paused for a second, and she reached out to him and said, uh, can you talk for a minute? And she said, my name is Jessica, and I'm just going to come out with it right now. And and again, tears began to well up in her eyes. And she said, you know what? I I tried to take my life this week. I truly wanted to end it all. She said, the guy I've been dating left just without even saying a weird word. He he disappeared, and she said, I feel so alone. And then she said, you know, I I need a circle. She said, "I've, I've wanted to be in a circle in a small group for five years. But she said, I'm afraid to go to a small group. I'm afraid to join one. And Dave said, afraid? Well, what are you afraid of? And then she told him, she said, well, you know, I'm 32, uh, my daughter's 17, and if I get into a small group, uh, I know people will do the math. People will do the math. Hiding. And so Jessica had been hiding for at least five years, afraid to be found. But, you know, I think at the same time, afraid that she might not ever be found. You know, I think many of us are just like her, actually most of us. You know, we carry around stuff from our past and our present. And because of that, we're afraid we will be found, but also afraid that we might not ever be found. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're afraid to be found, but at the same time, we're afraid that we might not ever be found. And so I think we all get pretty good at hiding. Uh, We're in week two of our series, like uh, Sherry said, Uncovered, where we've been talking about how to train yourself to be godly. To train yourself to be godly. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I thought about that a little bit. And, and, and the idea of being godly, it sounds a little lofty, doesn't it? Almost kind of pious sounding. Train to be godly, right? I don't, I don't know if that strikes you that way, but it strikes me that way. But the truth is, every single one of us are created in the image of God, okay? We're created in the image of God. And so living like God, living like Jesus, is living life the way it was meant to be lived. It's how we were created to live life to its fullest, See, when I'm, when I'm more like Jesus, I, I, I'm more patient, 
I'm more kind, I'm more loving, I'm more gracious, I'm more generous, I'm more selfless. I mean, all the qualities I deep down really want to characterize my life. And I love the word that Paul uses in 1 Timothy when he talks about what it looks like for us to to be about this. He says, this journey isn't about trying to be like Jesus. It's about what? Training to be like Jesus. I mean, let's face it. I think we all have areas of our lives where, uh, you know, we struggle to be all that God wants us to be. I don't think that's a big, you know, surprise to anybody. And I don't know about you, but for me, you know, just kind of gritting my teeth and clenching my fists fists and, and trying harder, it just doesn't seem to help that much. It kind of reminds me of when I, I bought my total gym. Anybody else succumb to buying a total gym? Just go ahead and confess. All right, we got, we got a couple of honest people that are right. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, it was endorsed by what? Christy Brinkley and Chuck Norris, right? I mean, how, yeah. I mean, come on, how could you not want one? Guarantees to give you six-pack abs in like no time. And I'd been looking at this thing for months and trying to convince my wife it doesn't take up very much space. I think it'll work out great. And, you know, I finally convinced her to let me buy it, and I finally did. And you know how much good it did me? No good at all. You know why? Because I never trained. I never trained. Now, I know it's shocking for you to find out that it takes no training at all to reach this physical (laughs) level of fitness, but it's true. And some of you are laughing just a little too much, okay? It's funny, but not that funny. So I want you to think about this series in this way. It's kind of like we're uncovering spiritual practices that most of us have forgotten. It's almost like a a treadmill that's stacked with boxes, and and you've got, you know, clothes that you're hanging all over it. You dry your clothes on it now. You don't even use it. So we're going to clear the dust off of these practices in, in hopes that they will train us to be godly to be more like Christ, to live life the way life was meant to be lived. And so today I want to talk about confession. Say confession. Confession. Yeah, now, as soon as you say that word, you may have even said it and and cringed just a little bit, because when I say that, I think chances are many of you have a, a variety of ideas, maybe even scary thoughts as to what this confession could be all about. But I want to, I want to tell you that the spiritual practice of confession is simply this, bringing what's in here out here. The spiritual practice of confession is bringing what's in here out here. And I want to acknowledge up front that it takes tremendous courage to uncover this practice. It takes tremendous courage to uncover this practice. And a little bit later in the service, we're going to ask you to confess between you and God. Whatever it is you're feeling like God is impressing upon your heart that you need to take to him. And it takes tremendous courage to confess to yourself, but also to confess to God. But before we're done today, I hope you'll understand why it is absolutely so vital, why it is so worth it. And I want to begin with a story about David. And and David is uh, the king of Israel. He's also considered to be one of the greatest leaders that ever walked the planet Earth. This is the David who also defeated the giant Goliath. And on this particular occasion... While David's armies are out on the battlefield at war, David is reclining in his palace in Jerusalem. And on one evening, David decides to take a stroll up on his rooftop. And as he's taking this walk on the rooftop of where he lived in the palace, he glances down into his neighbor's house. Now, I'm not sure how you just kind of glance down into your neighbor's house. I mean, if you're on the rooftop, you probably are aware of something that you're looking for. At least that's what I'm thinking. And when he glances down at his neighbor's house, he sees this woman, a beautiful woman named Bathsheba, and she's taking a bath. Now, I always thought that was kind of interesting, Bathsheba taking a bath. I don't know about you. But David, rather than recognizing the danger and doing the right thing, he asks about her, 
asks her to be brought to him. Because he's the king, he can get that to happen. And they end up getting together, and she becomes pregnant. Oh, one side note, Bathsheba was married to a, a loyal soldier in David's army named Uriah. And so you can kind of get the picture here. While Uriah is out of the battlefield, David's back at the palace sleeping with his wife. Now, one would hope that when confronted with a pregnancy that David would confess what he'd done, right, and face the consequences. But you know what happens instead? What does David do? Yeah, David begins to hide. He begins to hide. He tries to cover up, and, and one lie leads to another until eventually he does the unthinkable. And he orders uh, to have Uriah put out on the front lines of battle, and then he tells the others that are in charge out there to pull the rest of the army back so that Uriah actually is struck down and killed. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds more like an HBO special than it does something you'd read in Scripture, right? But you know, David was hiding a lot in here. He had a lot that he was hiding about now. And, and you know, he puts up a brave front. He, he, he ignores it. But what he had done, if you read Scripture, you'll find that it begins to relentlessly dog him and torment him and just tear him apart literally day and night. And it wasn't until God sent a prophet named Nathan that David comes out of hiding. And somehow God helped Nathan put the pieces of that twisted story together and he confronts the king, a very courageous thing to do, and he challenges him to bring what's in here out here. He challenges him to come clean, to confess. Now, if there is one redeeming quality in David in this story, it's when he's confronted, he does confess. He brings what's in here out here. He comes out from hiding. Now, I have to admit, I kind of breezed through that story pretty quick. There's a lot of details that I left out, but I did so because I want to get to this next part. I want to talk about what David learned about the value of what we're talking about today, this practice of confession. You see, immediately after he confessed to Nathan, David penned the words that we find in Psalm 51. We'll see that on the screen. Psalm 51. It's a, it's a psalm that's maybe one of the more familiar psalms. And in this psalm, I mean, if you, if you read it, I mean, you can, you can just feel the emotions that David's feeling. And, and, he, and he prays for his own restoration. He, he promises God he'll use his experience to teach others about finding their way back to him. You know, write that down. Go back and read Psalm 51 later on today if you have a few moments. But one way David goes on to help others is by writing another psalm. We know it as Psalm 32. And, and I want to take a look at this passage a little bit more closely. Psalm 32. You can follow along on the screen as we read this together. And again, this is David writing. Here's what he's writing after he has this experience with Bathsheba. After Nathan confronts him, he begins to come out from hiding. And he says this. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. And then he says, you know, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, there's a couple of phrases that I really want to key in on in that selection, what David wrote there as he tried to convey what he was experiencing. He said, when I kept silent, did you catch that? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Have you ever felt the weight of the burden or the burden of a secret? You ever felt that? You ever felt just sort of the, the, the heaviness 
the weight of a burden or the secret or, or maybe the, the weight, the heaviness of unconfessed sin. You know, I, I think our secrets affect us way more than we even want to admit or realize. See, I think unconfessed secrets, unconfessed sin can literally destroy us. I mean, it can destroy our, our, our relationships, our relationships with each other, our relationship with God. It can destroy our future. Unconfessed sin, secrets, I mean, it has a, has a way of causing us to retreat. We hold back. We're in fear. It keeps us stuck in the past. It holds us back from moving forward into the, into the future with new possibilities and new relationships and new opportunities. It can actually destroy us physically, too. It can actually destroy us physically. Researchers from the University of Stanford found that the act of keeping a secret can have a, an effect similar to that of carrying a weight. Isn't it interesting? Holding on to secrets or unconfessed sin can literally be like walking around with an extra weight on your back and shoulders. I felt that. Have you? Yeah, like a, like a weight that you're just carrying around. So how do we, how do we stop this pattern of destruction? How do we bring what's in here out here? How do we come out from hiding? Well, we acknowledge our sin. We confess our secrets. And we do. We bring what's in here out here. And we come out of hiding and we let ourselves be found. That's what we do. We let ourselves be found. Uh, I'm going to ask the ushers if they would, um, they have a piece of paper that they're going to pass out. It's a small piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, you're going to find a passage of scripture. It reflects another prophet from the Old Testament and, and his experience with this whole idea of confession. And so what I want you to do as you get this piece of paper, and they'll be passing it out over the next several moments, I want you to ask yourself, what, what is it for you that's in here that needs to be out here? What is it that maybe God is even, even in the moments I've been talking about it so far, and we'll continue to talk about it for the next 10 minutes or so, what is it that's in here that you need to bring out here? What is it that God might be impressing upon you that you need to confess? All right, so we want everybody to get one of those pieces of paper. So we're going to pass those out, and uh, I'm going to ask you to begin to think, think about that. But I want to go back to Jessica's story for a moment. Remember Jessica, she told Dave, you know, I'm afraid to get into a small group because I'm 32, my daughter's 17, and she said that, you know, people will do the math. Well, Dave said this, he told me, he said, you know, John, my, my first reaction was to sort of laugh. And I thought, that's kind of a strange reaction. He said, well, I, I sort of wanted to laugh because, um, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, you really have nothing to worry about. Wait till you hear about all the stuff that other people have in the group. And then he said uh, this, actually, he said, listen, I want you to know, Jessica, we're all like you. We all have stuff we wish we would have done differently or we wish we would not have done at all. And then he said this, and I want you to hear this, okay? He said, this is a church and this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. This is a place where it's okay not to be okay. So what happened? Well, I thought we'd let Jessica tell you the next part of her story. Here it is. When I saw Dave that day, I told him that I was afraid of joining a small group. I was in fear that they were going to judge me because of my past. After a few interactions, going back and forth with Dave by email and him following up with me to see how I was doing, I finally decided I was going to join a small group. I was really scared that the small group was going to ask me a lot of personal questions. I thought they were going to put two and two together, the age of my oldest daughter and my age, and assume, oh wow, okay, and just outcast me right out the door because that's what I've experienced my entire adult life. They inquired 
they loved it and they wanted to know more about my kids. And that right there broke down a lot of walls that I had and made me feel more welcome than not. After the first week of attending small group, I became ill and was hospitalized and I informed my small group leader by email and she replied back wishing me well wishes to get well, that she'll see me soon. I told her to please tell my table I said hello and that I miss them and all of them replied back. I've never felt more cared for from complete strangers that I just met. Being able to actually share my burden with people that I don't even know really lifted so much weight off my shoulders. For many, many years I've had, had held guilt in my heart. I've worn it on my shoulders and just to actually have enough courage to go up to my church family and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is why I'm not joining a small group. Now that I've let everything just, I've put everything out on the table and I wasn't judged and I wasn't ridiculed, made me feel welcome. Like I should have done this so many years ago. I feel like that weight's just been lifted. That it's okay to walk into church knowing that I've made past mistakes. It's okay, no one else is perfect. I never thought that my church family would actually be my church family. I've had so many people rooting for me who have been on my side that I never thought would be on my side. And it just made me believe and have a strong belief that my church family really is that, is my family. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. And Jessica decided not to hide anymore. And you know, on that day when she uh, spoke up to Dave, she began a journey of bringing what was in here out here. Um, And I hope it reminds all of us that this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. Uh, You know, many years ago, the author of the Sherlock Holmes novels, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, decided to play a practical joke on five of his friends, and these were some of the most prominent men in England. Uh, these were important, well-known people. And uh, he sent each of them a separate but anonymous note. And uh, each of these five well-known men uh, were sent this note. The note read like this. It said, all has been found out. Flee at once. <laughs> yeah, with friends like that, who needs enemies, right? Within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. <laughs> Truth is, we all have stuff in here that we're hiding, don't we? We all do. And so this is the challenge for us today. It's this. It's to stop hiding. Stop hiding and get found. Now, if you're ready to stop hiding, it's going to require some training, okay? It's going to require some training. It's not going to work if you just try to grit your teeth and clench your fists and try harder. It's going to require some training. And I think it starts when you stop hiding from yourself. I really believe that's the first step, to confess the truth to yourself. How do you do that? Well, I think it's simple. I think you probably grab like a laptop or a, or a notepad and a pen and you, and you just ask yourself these questions, you know, what parts of my life am I hiding? What parts of my life am I hiding? You know, who am I when no one is looking? You know, what do I feel guilty about? What are the faults in my life that I know need to be addressed? And then ask God, ask God to help you see yourself clearly. Uh, David, the David we talked about earlier penned these words too in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God. He asked God to help him do this sort of inventory. Search me, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's not so you feel bad. It's so that you can go on this path to experiencing life the way God wanted us to experience life. Uh, 
Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, he discovered that great corporations were willing to, to, to confront the brutal facts. They were relentless about telling the truth about themselves to themselves. And see, I think on a personal level, if we hope to become more godly, to stop hiding, then we have to also be willing to confront the brutal facts about ourselves. And I think what this requires is that we do some reflecting without rushing, that we slow down the RPMs, we take a few quiet moments, and we say, you know what, I'm going to be brutally honest, quit pretending, and I'm going to stop hiding what's wrong in my life. And I really think that putting pen to paper is one of the best ways to practice confession. And that's one reason why you gave that piece of pa- we gave that piece of paper to you this morning. Because putting pen to paper is one of the best ways you can start this practice of confession. There's just something about, you know, our words moving from our lips to the tips of our finger to that piece of paper that has a way of clearing things up for us. But the practice of confession doesn't stop there. Second, we have to stop hiding from God. Stop hiding from God. And I think the most helpful wisdom on confession I've ever come across comes from one of Jesus' closest followers. His friend John wrote this. He said, if we claim to be without sin... If we claim that we have nothing to hide, in other words, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. On the other hand, okay, the good news, though, is if we confess, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I like that word purify there because that word purify, you know what that means? It means to take away or to make clean. To take away or to make clean. And you see, when we quit hiding from God, he will forgive every unclean thought, every unclean deed, every single wrong we have ever committed. Doesn't that sound good? And when you do confess whatever you need to confess to God, don't beg. I mean, you don't have to beg. See, we don't have to beg God. God wants to forgive you. And don't bargain, you know, don't say, okay, God, if you forgive me, then, you know, I'll never do this again. Or God, if you forgive me, I'll, you know, I'll start doing all these good things. I'll start going to church every single week, even on Time Change Sunday. You know, I'll start tithing. I'll even give my pastor an all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii. If you really feel like you have to bargain, I mean. But no, don't bargain. See, God already wants to forgive you. In fact, he's already forgiven you. John reminds us God is what? He is faithful. He will forgive our sins. So come out of hiding and confess to him. And then lastly, let me just challenge you also to stop hiding from others. Stop hiding from others. That's what I love about Jessica's story, her courage in in, in bringing this out and, and letting people know, hey, this is who I am. If you want forgiveness, confess to God. But you know what? If you want to experience healing, confess to others. Let me say that again. If you want forgiveness, confess to God. But if you want to experience healing, healing, confess to others. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. Interesting words. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be what? Healed. Yeah. I mean, there's something about the exchange of confession, you know, bringing what's in here out here to someone else, man, it results in healing. Now, I don't know, you might think, well, you know, why do I need to drag another person into this? Well, I think it's because so often the root of our problem is relational, right? You know, we lie to each other, we deceive each other, we hide from each other, and all that stuff, it isolates us from each other. But then I know we tell ourselves, yeah, but if they really know the truth about me, they will, you know, they'll totally reject me, not when I have anything to do with me. Well, God tells us to confess to one another because it frees us. It brings the truth to light. It invites accountability to help us overcome our weaknesses. It helps us train to be godly and begin to live life the way it was meant to be lived. You know, recently I had this very experience. I had something that I needed to confess. 
And I can't tell you the relief I felt when I did. So here's what I thought we would do. On three, everybody just yell out what you need to confess, okay? We'll just get it all over with. You ready? One, two, three. That sounds like a, like a really bad trick, right? Everybody's, everybody's silent but one person. <laughs> uh, truth is, this isn't about, you know, airing out your dirty laundry, opening up the cupboard and letting everybody see everything. But don't miss this, okay? Don't miss this. If we want to be healed, we got to confess to someone. And the truth is, I think it's because every single one of us needs somebody that will look us in the eye and say, you know what? I love you anyway. I love you anyway. And you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. So who do you tell? Well, tell somebody you trust. You know, tell somebody who has a reputation for keeping a confidence. You don't want to tell somebody and then find it on Facebook the next day, that's for sure. <laughs> tell somebody who understands the gravity of what you're doing. You know, somebody who's compassionate and will weigh the significance of what you're trying to, to say. And be careful on this note, too. Be careful. Don't tell someone who might make light of it, okay? Because that's not what you need either. And then tell somebody who's spiritually mature enough that will kind of help you heal. And most likely it's a close trusted friend. It might be somebody in your small group. It might be a therapist. If that's where you want to go first, great, go there. Don't waste any time. You know, whenever somebody says to me, you know, what I'm about to share with you, I've never told anybody else, I get kind of excited. You know why? Because I know the moment that they share, they're going to experience relief like they have never felt in the longest time. And then finally, when do you confess? Well, you confess as soon as possible. Don't procrastinate. Confession is something we put off. We say, oh, I need to think about this a little bit more. I got to give this some more thought. No, don't think about it anymore. Confess right away. And again, that's why when you came in this morning, or not when you came in, when the ushers walked by, they gave you this piece of paper. I want you to take that piece of paper out right now. I want you to just kind of hold it in your hand, okay? Because this is an opportunity, folks. This is an opportunity for you to begin this practice of confession, to stop trying, okay, and really start training. Because this is something we all need. The band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song. And as they do, I got to ask, I mean, what is it that God has brought to mind? Even in the last several minutes, what has he been bringing to your mind that maybe he wants you to bring to him what's in here, out here? What, what do you need to confess? What's been weighing you down? I mean, David spoke of that weight that he felt. Jessica spoke of the weight that she felt. What is it that's weighing you down? that you need to confess. The words of this song I love, it says, I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. But you, you, Jesus, you are a savior. And you take brokenness aside and you make it beautiful. And that's what we're gonna give you a chance to do today is take your confession, take your brokenness and make it beautiful. And we want you to use this time to bring what's in here, out here, to stop hiding from yourself and God. You know, earlier I said that there's something about your thoughts moving from your lips to, to the tips of your finger and writing them out. That is, there's just something about that that really helps us confess. And so I want you to right now, during these moments, as we sing this song, to grab a pen and just write down whatever it is that you want to bring to God, whatever it is you want to confess. And if you want to you know, put it in code language or, or a symbol, that's fine. You know, this is not between anybody else except you, yourself, and God. Now, at some point, I would encourage you to talk to somebody else about it, like we've said. But right now, this is just between you and God and nobody else. But don't miss this opportunity to take your first step toward freedom and forgiveness. 
So as we sing, go ahead and, and write it out, all right? And we're going to give you a chance to bring it, bring it to God today. Let's pray, would you? Father God, we come to you today. And we're challenged with this practice of confession, Lord. And I know for, for a lot of us here, there may, may bring up you know, bad memories or we have thoughts about confession that don't reflect what we read in your word. But God, we see that confession is, is something that brings healing. It's something that, that reconciles us to you. It's something that lifts burdens, that, that allows the weight that we feel to become lighter. And God, I think we all need that. So Lord, I would pray right now in this space that your spirit would invade this space and just give us an opportunity to confess to you whatever it is we need to bring to you, God, to bring out what's inside, to allow you to cleanse us, to purify us so that we can experience what it means to be rightly related to you, Father God. Search us, know our hearts, know our anxious thoughts, point out anything in us that's offensive to you, Father. Lead us along the path of everlasting, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.